If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. People seem to forget if you change today, today will change your life. Keep up with the latest episodes. Make sure you subscribe to the Self Belief Chief Podcast Facebook group. Download your favorite ones. And this episode is brought to you by Odd Health, the easy way to speak to a nutritionist. Take control of your health and your body with the support of registered nutritionists online through the Odd Health app. You can even take a free questionnaire so that they can understand more about your goals to help with your first consultation. If you want to know more on the selfbeliefchief.com forward slash podcast page, underneath the episodes, you'll be able to find more information. Okay, so we have reached episode 100. And it's at this point that I want to say thank you for the people who've tuned in and listened. But I also want to do something a little bit different. And a while back, my dad, who frequently helps me compile questions for this podcast uh, much more interesting questions than I can come up with often that provide some of the really helpful useful conversations and just really really good insight and I thought it'd be good to have a conversation with him as someone who does do a lot of prep for these conversations but also someone who is very much a hero of mine as well and I wanted to be able to introduce him someone who was looking forward to being on this podcast. I think as it came around sooner and sooner, his perspective on that might have changed. <laughs> but uh, it's very good to have him on. I'm very happy that he has come on. So firstly, to welcome you and uh, for you to say hello, hello to everyone. Oh, hi there, David, or shall I call you son? Uh, David will do. And uh, I don't know if you want to call me dad or Ron, but I don't mind. And uh, also, uh, I might be a hero of yours, but I've admired you for quite a long time as well david so we've got all the awkward pleasantries out the way but thank you very, <laughs> thank you very much so firstly i'll just talk about some of the things that i know that you have a, a deep interest in and i think lots of people listening you just find those things or stumble across those things which you have a, a real passion for which you don't really you know cultivate or ask to be passionate about those things they just kind of find you uh, and one of the things that I have an interest in, but you've got a, a thousand times greater knowledge and interest in is, is space. And I wanted to talk to you a bit about space in terms of what is the kind of core fascination around that and very much if it aligns to why I find it interesting. But uh, I know you love the idea of space and exploration. I know you've also spoken about the chance to leave us as a family when the time comes to be able to fly into space as well. Uh, in all seriousness, what's, um, what, where did your fascination and interest in space start? Um, I, I guess I've always had a fascination with, with science generally. And, but what happened in 1960s as I was growing up was the Apollo moon landings. And they really 
they were they were headline news everywhere in the world and you you couldn't escape all the detail in the newspapers so if you're at all interested in science or engineering then you had acres and acres of of in those days newsprint or tv to just wallow in and i just found it fascinating uh so so that would be one uh entry point the other entry point my, my parents bought me a uh, one of those sort of big picture books on astronomy. I don't know how old I was. I think I must have been about five at the time. And I just loved leafing through that and seeing all these things which seemed quite exotic to me. The, the, um, they, and they were only hand-drawn images in those days because there weren't very good pictures of uh, planets and other stuff in those days. So these were hand-drawn images of the planets, of the sun, of the solar system, uh, of the universe, and, and, and the galaxies in between. So I found that fascinating too. And then as I think, uh, as I grew older, the, uh, the idea that actually space exploration was, was quite a fascinating idea and I got into science fiction, so I enjoyed that immensely. And then as I got a bit older still, I started to realise quite what the moon landings had achieved from a, from a sort of uh, a per, uh, the point of view of the, what the astronauts must, must have been like as people or the engineering that went into it. I just loved all that. So I know I've bored a lot of my friends and family silly talking about it. So I'll just stop at that point in case I'm doing the same to your listeners. <laughs> no, I, well, I, I think it's just nice when most people find it interesting when you get to listen to someone who is passionate about something. And I, I know you've, you've sort of uh, flown planes and I know as maybe at some point in your life, you felt as if, Oh, I wonder if I could, travel into space so when you think about the thought about the actual idea or the possibility of actually being able to do that what is it exactly amongst all the reasons why you're interested what exactly is it about that that you would love to experience why would the experience be so amazing for you yeah well whilst i think about how to answer that question i'll, I'll, I'll tell a story that, I, that you you remember me telling about just after your mum, Sarah, and I were married. And we, were, we were sitting in bed one Sunday morning and reading the newspapers. And there's a full page advert in the paper saying, do you want to go into space? And I, uh, and I looking at this thinking, well, yeah, I do, because I've always wanted like the idea of that. And this advert said, um, do you have a science degree? Well, I did. And it said, do you speak a foreign language? Well, I did. And uh, I said, do you have a pilot's license? And at that time, I did. So I thought, well, I, I'm halfway into space already. How much, you know, who else is going to be so qualified as me? And for, for th I didn't share this um, uh, excitement with uh, uh, Sarah at the time. I just uh, sat on it for three days, seriously contemplating applying for this. Um, for this. And... Uh, and I've told that story many times over the years and I decided not to apply for it. And the reasons I gave when I tell the story is because when we got married, that wasn't what Sarah had signed up for, that her husband who might disappear off to Russia for two years training and then might go into space. As the years have gone on, I realised that sort of the, some of the deeper reasons were probably my own cowardice and my recognition of my own, uh, of my own uh, uh, the likelihood that I might not quite be uh, the, the successful candidate amongst the thousands that applied. But the reason I thought about it seriously for three days, coming back to your question, I really cannot think of anything more exciting as a view 
than looking back on the earth and appreciating your place in the universe and and there's two things going on looking back on earth there's how small we are but also how much man has imprinted himself on earth not necessarily in bad ways i'm talking that's not an environmental point i'm making it's just when you see all those cities beneath you or the small towns and villages lit up and you, or you see ships on the on the oceans um it, it's it just must be mesmerizing and, and when you hear astronauts talking about looking at the earth they cannot tear themselves away from the window so there, there's that aspect of it i just cannot think of a better view yes we have beautiful views on earth and i've i've been fortunate to see a few of them um but i just can't think of anything more compelling and then when you face the other way and look into the blackness of space and the the pinpricks of light because when we see them through the earth's atmosphere from from the ground they're all a bit they're all a bit uh made a bit blurry by the atmosphere but when you're in the in in out, out in space they're pinpricks in a complete in an otherwise complete blackness and then seeing the sun rise over the rim of the earth i so i don't know it's just it just filled with wonderment and the fact that somehow if i were there i'd be living some of this boyhood fascination with science fiction stories i guess that's the that's what would compel me to to want to go into space apart from being a coward though <laughs> you mentioned about the the darkness or the blackness and seeing the pinpricks amongst all of that and how easy is that for you in moments coming away from space where the world does seem darker or the picture's not very clear for you to still see those as you describe pinpricks but i guess those um, points of beauty or points of you know kind of amazement or whatever um you and i i think in that regard can be quite different and you might well have any, a better ability at seeing those at points than i do how how easy do you find it to see those moments when through darker times that we have in life to see those sort of i guess pinpricks so so you so you so the question is sort of moved from the actuality of looking at space into sort of metaphorical a metaphorical um uh, analogy um i think that oh, i think that i've uh, I, i'm a, well, i guess a couple of things come to mind i'm a half cup full sort of person uh there are some friends of mine very old friends of mine who know me very well uh, who think i'm a bit of a naive optimist at times but i don't mind if that's the the, the truth of it I quite like the living in my fantasy of a of a naively optimistic uh, world. Uh, I am a half cupful sort of person. I see the, I tend to see the the possibilities. Um, so I, I, in things rather rather than the negativities, uh, and I th I guess I th I also. Uh, a, I don't think I've ever had to face a desperate adversity. So how would I react to that? I, I don't know. And I, I 
wouldn't wish to be dishonest enough to to claim that I do. But there's been a few sort of bumps along the way. And uh, so when those bumps arrive, I think I see them as problems that have to be addressed rather than... Um, so my, my first response after is, well, how are we going to fix this, I guess? And the, the third thing I can think of is I, I, I compartmentalise quite easily most of the time. So if something comes up, uh, it, it, it sits in its own space in my mind and, and doesn't osmotically infect other areas in my, in my mind. And again, I don't want to make a pretense about that. You know, when something bad happens, it does hang over you, uh, but it doesn't, but I, it, it's still compartmentalized and uh, to, to a large extent in terms of uh, sort of functioning and, and, and trying to fix the problem as, as I see it. So I guess, I guess that's how I keep the, and if you want to see those compartments as, as the, as the, as the, for me, they're sort of they're pinpricks as well, actually. So it's not just the good things in life, but the, the adversities are also opportunities to, to fix things and maybe fix them even better than they were before. Yeah, I get that. I can understand that. And to touch back onto space, I only wanted to bring that up because it seemed a, an apt analogy. For yeah, th- thanks for that curveball there. Yeah. <laughs> so with some of the work being done in the sort of innovation in and around space and exploration how important do you see all of that because we go back to the 60s and 70s where sort of talking from a, a kind of u.s communist rivalry or u.s russia rivalry um and they need to get to the moon and lots of different meanings and uh, reasons or needs to to visit space for the first time Moving to the present day, how important do you see space exploration and how critical, if it is, do you think it is? Do you think we should be investing more or less? You're sort of asking the wrong person there because I start off from, from a, as a point of principle. We, we've all got our principles that sort of guide, guide our thoughts about stuff generally. So I respect those that say we've got enough problems on Earth that we need to spend money on. Let's spend the money that we are, in their words, wasting on space uh, on the problems we have on Earth. And I respect that as a point of view. But I don't, as a point of, as a point of principle, come from there. I, from a, as a point of principle, I come from uh, the point of view that this is a very big, wide world. There are a ton of opportunities and a ton of problems. And there are currently 7.5 billion people on the planet who might be able to solve some of the problems or, or take some of the opportunities we've got. If we don't give them free reign through research, through exploration, to do whatever it is that floats their boat, then we are constraining humanity in some way. And I guess examples don't spring to the top of mind very quickly, but there are so many examples of some basic research in, some, in basic sciences of physics, chemistry, biology, and even mathematics, where the scientists who were doing it and whenever 100 years ago, 200 years ago, did not know what application that science would be put to. 
But lo and behold, decades or centuries later, something that benefits humanity in ways that were inconceivable, but, but vast, take place. So it seems to me completely uh, wrong to tell Jeff Bezos that he can't spend his billions exploring space and, uh, and in his words, finding a way to escape planet Earth for when, for when, we, for when mankind needs a second home. It would be wrong to do that and it'd be wrong to curtail anything. So that's, that's how I approach your, your question. Okay, so <laughs> so very on the fence. Um, no, I, I can understand. <laughs> I, was, I was trying trying to rope you into some some sort of juicy tabloid headline here. Where, yeah, uh, yeah, the tabloids would be very interested in what, in what yeah. I've got to say. I realise that. But. So, to move on to one of your other interests, um, something that I will maybe not beat you again at ever. Is, <laughs> is chess which i know is everyone's most exciting game but um but you're obviously good at it and uh i think lots of people you know they they have will think i'm a nerd by now yeah. it's space and chess yeah, yeah. Well, i gotta be honest so, um so we'll talk about your surfing and everything else that you do yeah the cool stuff yeah okay so you like to collect chess sets. I haven't noticed you actually. I, I can't think of the last time you, you got a new chess set. Have you got a new chess uh, set recently? No, not for quite a while now. The, uh, I think uh, ran you out of on One about once a year, a new, a new chess yeah. set, aren't we? Well, I think at one, at one point it got to maybe two or three a year. Uh, but the, the, the thing about chess sets, well, the thing about chess is apart from being perceived as a, of a as a nerdy game for certain types of people and i do get that i do get that but uh i can assure your thousands of listeners that that not all chess players are like that uh, and for me it's a it's a it's a terrific game because it, it pits two people in open combat mental mental combat and it is a war, and when you're playing it, you want to kill the other person. You, you absolutely want to, to defeat them. It becomes very competitive and very, uh, a very visceral feeling if you, if you play competitive chess, that you really want to beat the other person. But it's an odd game because you can see everything that's on the board. The only thing you can't see is what the other person might be thinking. But when they deploy their troops, and that's how you've got to think about these chess pieces as troops being deployed by general, you can see more so than in general in real life exactly what the troop deployment is. So it's a really interesting battle of wits, which I'm not actually very good at because uh, I make careless mistakes. Am, uh, I, just, am I just really terrible? Uh, <laughs> no, no, yeah, of course not. And uh, but there, there, I'm I'm not good enough to uh, to lay claim to being a good chess player. Uh, so chess sets for me. So if chess is a is emblematic of a battle of of wills against uh, between two armies, then when you look around the world at how chess sets have been fashioned by different cultures and different societies at different times, um, most of them, of course, are depicting 
the battles of the times. So you've got the you've got the 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 Greeks versus the Romans or the the Spanish Spanish versus the Arabs or whatever. So to to see all of these characters from history or from different parts of the planet uh, represented. It, it, it's for me just sort of quite 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 fun and i never collected particularly valuable sets they they, they come in all different shapes sizes materials uh, one of my my proudest uh, or most pleasing chess sets is, is one from for a doll's house it cost me six pounds however many decades ago and it's about one and a half uh, sorry about uh, four centimeters square board the pieces are tiny i just love it I just love it. So yeah, that is because it just represents many cultures, many many different times in history, and uh, and uh, and this battle of wills between between a fight in a fight to the death. The the, the, the reason I brought up the chess was oh ah, ah, yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, the reason I brought up the chess was uh, the, the, pin, I, I, the pinpricks of life in a chess yeah. match. <laughs> Is um, I always find it quite amazing considering how long those games go on in terms of focus and concentration. Um, there are players that you know they're not necessarily the case with yourself, but they they play you know an hour, a game can last hours and hours and hours. For you, in terms of that mental concentration and that and that level of focus and not switching off, which I think most people have a you know it's, it's tough to be in a place where if it does last a considerable amount of time when you've got that kind of mental stress is how do you keep up that mental concentration? How do you not kind of switch off or take a, a back step? Because when you play, you can't really do that, can you? Because you forget what's going on or you step out of the place and the other person's still in that place. And I think for a lot of people that makes a lot of sense, even if they don't necessarily do it or understand it through the, through chess, but how do you, keep yourself con i know you you often say oh, i made this stupid mistake or oh i would have won all of these games if i just hadn't done this so obviously yeah, you're being, you're being a bit generous you're being a bit generous there because uh, you, you, what, what you usually say to me not in public is is that uh when i come back complaining about having made a stupid mistake you say yeah you say that every single time so yeah you, that's true Maybe, um, okay next question instead <laughs> you're right uh, your focus is tight. <laughs> well it is so i sit there and my mind wanders uh, a bit too easily. Uh, the, the competitive matches I play, and they take about three hours. World Championship matches, I think they're about six hours long. I might be wrong about that. They're, it does take a lot of concentration. But the, moment, but the moments I love in chess is when you're so lost in the match that your mind doesn't drift. And you... I, I'm not at the level where this is true but i guess when i'm in those moments i can sort of glimpse what i read the world champions say that it's as if they're they're moving in a different plane and seeing patterns on the chessboard um in front of their eyes um they don't they don't they don't really think in terms of if, if i do this then this happens and if i do this then this happens they they see patterns evolving and uh, almost like clouds moving in and out of focus, and so when you're really lost in a game, I'm I'm nowhere near what that description I just gave. But you're so absorbed in it that, that that's that, that's quite that's quite quite good fun. But my mind, 
otherwise does wander too easily. So I, I'm not sure how I can uh, better answer your question. But let me ask you a question. Because uh, there are some games where you've beaten me, despite your proclaimed... Um, well, I can remember when I was five, and I didn't yeah. realize until I was a teenager that obviously I hadn't won. Um, well, because you'd let me win unless you're about to tell me otherwise and it's really embarrassing well, for you but i can't um, think of the other times on, on on several occasions you've brought this up and, ha and i've posed the question unless you let me win and and i've enigmatically left that floating in the air on the on the on the couple of occasions where it's happened i think there were when you were five and there's another time a bit older we haven't, we haven't played chess that often and the couple of times where you beat me i didn't let you win So go, so David. I just realised this is a podcast and I'm <laughs> celebrating in the background and no one can actually know what's going on. It's just silence. Oh, finally. <laughs> Truth is out. So why did you not tell me? Um, pride. Right. Pride. Yeah. It's pure oh. and simple. Well, so this podcast has been worth it now. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to outside of chess, everything else? At this point in your life, what are you looking forward to the most? Well, hmm. Dramatic pauses aren't quite as effective on pauses. Yeah, they are, are they? And, uh, and, uh, and the cold sweat that I've come out in isn't visible on a podcast either. I think I'd have to say the fairly saccharine, I'll give the fairly saccharine answer uh, to see you and Catherine, your sister, just continually moving forward in your lives and uh, making successes, hopefully, and having... Because uh, we're not successes yet. Having more successes. <laughs> And uh, I said moving forward, and that's how, as in having more successes. Uh, and so as saccharine as that might seem, that's, that's the most important thing that I would look forward to. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not a more interesting answer in many ways. I, I, I sort of would have judged you if it was a different answer, to be honest, I guess, having, now that you've said that. Um, that's why I paused for so long, because that was the first answer that came to my mind. And I, I was mean, you paused and then you only came up with that. <laughs> well, because that was that was the only answer. So I was pausing to think, is there a different answer? Uh, but also, do I dare give this answer? So, so, yeah, is there a better answer to give than that saccharine one? That, that, that's why there was a long pause. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's you can okay. edit it out. It's fine. Oh, you, you want us to do well, girl. <laughs> um, presuming that there might, the answer might be along those lines, um, what is it? What is it like parenting my sister and I? Oh, it's a joy. Yeah. Okay. What are the differences in terms of parenting styles <laughs> that you have to provide or utilize with each of us? Can I tell your listeners that the reason you're asking this question is because you're determined to discover which one of the you do is favorite? No, we know they don't. Well, they, we know which one's the favorite and I've, I've made they, peace with that. So I've dealt, <laughs> I've dealt with that fine now. Um, it's made me who I am. So it's through, gone through the hard, <laughs> those hardships. Um, are there different, different parenting styles? 
are there different ways that you with Catherine and I that you thought actually we've got to approach approach them differently because they are different it might not be even a conscious thing but <sighs> well I can't I'm not uh, so I answer on obviously on for myself I'm as opposed to parenting in general and I guess the answer is yes and no I'll start with the no uh, the attitude that both Sarah and I take, I, th I think we both agree, is to, is to encourage, um, even from a young age, a very young age, to, uh, to be self-sufficient, uh, to um, support when needed, and to... Uh, uh, <clears throat> and to ensure that boundaries are understood and applied. And by boundaries, I don't just mean sort of in, a, in the normal discipline sense. And of course, I do mean that. But and not that I think either is a rigid disciplinarians, but their boundaries are important for, for kids, but also boundaries, not just of a personal nature, but a societal nature. So we have responsibilities to society and to other people. Which and for me that sort of fits under the heading of boundaries. So, so the commonality um, is encouragement, support, and boundaries, underpinned, of course, with with um, huge ladles of love. But where where the yes comes in, so there's that's the no bit, no differences. Where the yes comes in is you sort of soon discover that your children are different, uh, and when they behave differently, they need to be treated differently. So, but, but that different treatment is within the context that I've just described of, uh, of, of encouragement, support and boundaries. Uh, and you just have to measure things a little bit differently. Uh, so apply things a bit differently in different cases. So yeah, Catherine tended to be more compliant with instruction and on occasions you were a bit less compliant with the first at the first point of asking and so at times there were differences and uh, we had to encourage you to see our point of view on things but as you now know it turned out i was right in those occasions of, so, of yeah. course of course you were but uh, but if i can if i can well if you've have you done with that question because if i can if i can move it on because <clears throat> what you the, part of the, of the joy of parenting is what you learn it's not what you teach and so I've I've learnt from watching you both I've learnt from some of the things you do so in your case uh, how the stuff you're doing with self-belief chief and the, the the courage and the challenges that takes um, and I'm not just saying this, I, I've learned from watching that because I, 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 yeah, on the few occasions I've thought of doing something entrepreneurial, I, one of the reasons I've thought I've decided against it is because I, I don't have that spirit in me. So you, you, you learn stuff from your children. You, um, you, learn, you learn that everyone's different. And as a parent, at some point you discover, this, this takes a few years, you discover that everyone's different. And the idea that um, 
and never, never, not that I ever thought this consciously at all. I, I emphasize that, but I realized that subconsciously I was assuming that you and maybe she, but you may, mainly, maybe as a, as a male, should be a bit like me. And eventually it dawned on me with a bit of a nudge from Sarah on one occasion that I remember um, saying that they don't have to be like, like you. And that, 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 absolutely true. And at that point, you have to sort of realize that, that there's a point to, to step in as a parent. For instance, when the child's about to cross the road or run, run into the road, you start to step in. But a lot of times when you have to step back, even when they're very young, let them fall over and hurt themselves is the only way they discover that not to, to try and run where they shouldn't run. So the stepping in and stepping back bit, and the older the children get, the, the more you have to step back. And, uh, and that's a journey of discovery as well. And then, and then learning that uh, as you and Catherine get older, have got older, that um, you've got our back as much as we have yours. That's, that's been a great, great uh, joy as well. So yeah, I, th I think we end up learning more from you than you ever learned, uh, or at least as much from you guys as, as you learn from us. So have I, have I neatly sidestepped the how you're different? <laughs> I thought it was a really good answer. I hadn't thought of it in those in those terms before, or necessarily would have assumed that you thought of it in those terms. So when you talk about lessons learned, what did you learn from Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is hard. Oh. This is taking longer. That's a quick um, answer for me. What did I learn? Hang on. What did I say I learned from you? Well, about you know, you learn in terms of the entrepreneurial side of. You, you oh, I see. Okay. All right. Um, from Catherine, oh, that's a good question. Uh, let me think about that it's one. Such, so little. So, no, really scratching <laughs> our heads here. Um, I hadn't prepared for that uh, one. Um, from Catherine, I think both of you have got a measure of of me and a measure of mum and hopefully because none of us are perfect hopefully the measures of the good bits of us are greater than the measures of the bad bits of us and uh and uh, catherine uh has has uh, has maintains very good contact with friends from whatever era and the way she does that i can only marvel at because uh, i'm not built like that You're, Sarah's built more like that, but I think I don't know whether don't Sarah would agree. I think I think she would. Catherine sort of beats us both at that. She does it very well. She does it in a very genuine way, and uh, and I actually so it's not something I've learned from her because I because I wish I could learn it from her. I'm just not built that way. But mm. yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think that's that definitely the the great quality that she has, and so there's Phew. the there's the. <laughs> We had to give her something. Um, there's so there's the lessons that you suggest that you or you know not lessons necessarily, but you you observe it, people you know a different way of living to a certain extent and new ways of going about things. But aside from us, in terms of lessons that you've learned over the course of your life, and actually what what was what were relevant and what were impactful and what you noticed really made a difference for you at whatever stage can you think of particular lessons that you feel that maybe you're not learned in a particular moment but say you talked about 
the joy of being able to learn from us, what are the things you've learned from other people? Oh, blimey. That, that, that's, that's a very long list. That's a very, I, I, and I don't know that I would know where to start. I, I can absolutely identify with things that my, my parents taught me. Uh, uh, for, for my mother, she's a brilliant cook, so I've inherited a love, if not, if not an ability of cooking that, that she has, but also her, her active love of, of family, uh, the, the, and not just the immediate family. She gets so many visits and calls from so many uh, nieces and nephews uh, and that's because she's she's reaping as she sowed in life. She's she gave love uh, and hospitality so frequently to so many. Uh, and again, a bit like we were talking about Catherine a moment ago, I, I I have a bit of that gene, but but nowhere near as much as my mum does. <clears throat> For my dad, I just learnt so much about. Uh, well, he, he was a role model for me in terms of how to be. Uh, a man. I don't mean that as a man's man. I just mean that as a as a as a male, as a as a as a father, uh, and he uh, and the practical bent he has to fix anything. Uh, we did take a TV apart once and never put it back together again. But the the learning of the curiosity to to you can try to fix anything, so uh, and then the ability to fix some things comes from him. But then in the world of work there i've had so many mentors uh, normally not explicit mentors but people that i just looked to and thought oh, i'm learning from you so so there's a long list of those um uh, I, I not just as a name check but i would throw in my sisters um they they uh, from whom the importance of family is also reinforced and they've got they both have their talents that I observe and learn from um, and um, then I probably add two more to this my uh, my longest and oldest friend I've got two very old friends and they're both very very good friends but I, I, one in particular um, who is much longer in the in the airship than the other one um, he and I spent ages just sort of work, uh, working out the meaning of life as we were teenagers. And that, that put me in, in great stead. Whether we actually worked out the meaning of life and solved any things is obviously in great doubt, but that was very formative. And then finally, uh, your mum, with whom we had a, uh, just past 70, 37 years of marriage yesterday. And... Uh, I, I, I learned from her most days, most days. Too much to mention. <laughs> but what, uh, you asked what did I learn? The, I think, I, uh, so I'll try and think of something specific that I learned from, from Sarah amongst the many, many things. Um, a very practical and 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 strong-minded compassion. If something needs saying or doing, she'll say it or do it, uh, but and do it in a, in a very practical, considered and compassionate way. And I, I respect that a lot. 
And there's always the, the balance between, you know, you want to learn and digest information and, and observe from everyone. And I think lots of people who listen to this podcast are also in a place where they're constantly wanting to learn, but they also want to know, well, actually, when do I learn and when and observe from other people and, and try and maybe try and attempt things in a different way? And when do I trust my instinct? So I wanted to ask you, for you, all the things that you pick up from other people and things that you mentioned, which you could wish you do better and you sort of had a uh, background in a number of different industries as well as a sort of consultant industry in which, you know, you're sharing valuable information back and forth. There comes a point where you've kind of got to back yourself or trust your instinct or know when to close off the noise from everyone else so you can do what feels more instinctively right to you. Uh, I'll ask a slightly easier version of what I was going to ask, which is in terms of your instinct, does that ever feel questionable to you? Does that feel something that you feel like you've always been able to reliably trust that instinct or have there been occasions where you find that to be more challenging? Uh, I, 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 you'll know I can get into the detail and, 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 think, and think through a problem for a very long time and that's not an instinctual uh, that's not an indicative of an instinctive behavior, but, but other times, um, many other times, uh, and of course, even when you go to detail, you, you have instincts about things which you bring into play. And I do, I do by and large trust my instinct, but, but I like to think I trust it in a measured sort of way. It's a, it's a questioning sort of way. I recognize, I like to think that some of the time at least, I can spot if something's an instinct rather than rather than the, an observable fact, and uh, and then ask myself questions about the instinct. But of course, there are times when you've got to act on instinct because you have to act more quickly, and I I, I do tend to trust that. I can certainly think of occasions where I've regretted the instinctive reaction, but hopefully, but I don't. But more often than not that's not been the case but there, there have been a few times when when uh, the regret has replaced the, the instinct um you can regret regret things said or done and uh, you can't you can't undo that and sometimes sometimes i do uh if i wake up in the night and, and think about stuff on, on some occasions i'll run through the, a few of the things i wish i hadn't done and uh, I'll run through a few of the people I could, wish I could apologise to, uh, even if I'd apologised to them at the time. I'd still, so, so yeah, there are some regrets, but no, most of the time I do trust my instinct and, and um, it served me fairly well. But, uh, and, but I do uh, go back to what I started off by saying, I do tend to go into the detail about stuff. So I like to think that my instincts are grounded in, in rationalism, even if the rationalism is subconscious. Of course, the most important reason why I ask about instinct is because your mum are highly competitive. And so you have to <laughs> yeah. trust your instinct in those key battles and those key moments when you play your bananagram or whatever other game, cool games you guys are playing these days. 
is you've got to be able to trust that instinct and be super focused and yeah, yeah. It's the real battles of the week is that it's, the, it's going to set up the whole week and for one person it's going to be a great week and for the other person it's it's more it's more disappointment who is more competitive between the two of you i just want to take a bit of an aside here because i i I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. I don't know if you are, and I certainly don't know if the people who are <laughs> going to listen to it, if they get to this point, are, because it's obviously quite sort of um, personal in a, in a sense. So, uh, uh, But it does lead me to wonder whether you're actually not going to use it as a podcast. This is just a way of trying to ask me some questions that I might not otherwise want to answer in, in the under the pretext it's for the, for the benefit of your podcast audience yes <laughs> i thought so um who's the more competitive well i would say she is and she would say i am who wins more often that depends on what we're playing okay who takes win who's a better winner Ooh, uh, probably more, f I don't think either of us are bad losers, just to get that in very quickly, but probably more often than not, she's the side, she's the marginally better winner. But I don't know, actually, I don't know. I think about, about the same, I don't know. Who's I, do a bit more, I do a bit more sledging than she does, so I'm, I'm factoring that into my answer. Yeah, I mean, there's, that's the one relationship where you should be able to trash talk, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. so, who's the better loser? No, I can't think of, but I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd say a draw on that one too. Oh, God. We're, we're competitive, but we're, we're fairly, fairly gracious most of the time. But I do sledge more than she does. What's, the, what's, what's your favourite game that you both play? Currently, uh, well, currently we're in a Bananagram episode, a period, as you, as you know. Um, previously... Uh, there's been other things but uh, banana gram at the moment as exciting as that sounds yeah great I game great game no it's not is it is this is this podcast sponsored by banana gram? sponsored by banana gram. It? <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's a it's a it's a boring terrible game um and uh it's 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 fairly mind-numbing um maybe it's just because I'm, no, I'm no good at it as well ah. but uh so next question next quick fire question which isn't coming to me quickly enough but uh yeah, that's the quick fire questions. Quick fire answers need quick fire questions. So. Yes, they do. I mean, do you have a do you have a quick fire question for me? Um, who's your favourite parent? Draw. <laughs> <laughs> who's your favourite sister? Draw. Catherine, <laughs> <laughs> my one sister's a draw. Yeah. Who's a draw? Is this conversation going along the lines of you hoped it would do? It's doing just fine. Totally good. Totally good. What's the best thing about mum? Oh, too many things to oh list. Oh my God, I think, I'm so sorry I, for people listening. I think I appreciate, I've, I've already mentioned one thing, which I appreciate. I'll mention one other thing I appreciate, which is, she is a very good and loyal friend 
uh, uh, so I mentioned one other thing, because uh, uh, which is that she is. Uh, one thing. One thing that first uh, attracted me to the Sarah is her ability. Her, how lovely she looked in whatever situation she was in, and I don't mean that just from a physical point of view. So whether it was putting silly faces on the beach or. Uh, or dressing up to go somewhere or where she just looked lovely in, in every situation and was just lovely company in every situation. Okay. So you also have been writing various books over the, over the years. Finally, bloody hell. We're trying to get to this promotional part of the podcast. <laughs> so which is your favorite book? That you have been working on very different we've yeah. all had multiple reads of them so we all have our opinions yeah I, we, all, I, we, all, we all say draw as well if i can make this public apology to my family they have had to to read a few too many manuscripts a few too many times no. i'm i'm sure uh, so i would much appreciate thank though. you thank you and i'll say thank you on behalf of <laughs> <laughs> one one of the reasons i got them to read one of the manuscripts so so so, so much was none of them were actually interested in the topic i was writing about oh. and i knew that they would ask me lots of questions that uh, i had not managed to uh, express the to which i had not managed to express the answer clearly in the in the text um so there's a the first thing I wrote was a, was, a, was a story for Catherine, but it became a story for Catherine and, and, and you, David, but mainly it was Catherine's story about George the Giant, and in those politically incorrect days, Mickey Midget, since renamed George the Giant and Minnie Mickey, which is a story about two people, uh, two, two children, one small one, one too small, one too large, uh, outcast by their friends who discover each other and become friends for life. And that was a bedtime story made up by yours truly. And then for Catherine's 30th birthday, turned into a, 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 a book that was uh, on Amazon. If you wish to, to buy that for your children, nieces, nephews, friends, kids, etc., at a very modest price. Uh, um, and I'm kidding with the promotional bit here. That, that's, that's me just trying to play act someone on Graham Norton show. Um, uh, the, the second thing, apart, apart from some small bits of writing, there's a, I then had this idea for a, some small bits of writing, which generally were like, I'd have an idea of something, but I knew I couldn't write. So I would just write it down in, in a few pages or a few words, and, and then just for my own benefit, I enjoyed, enjoyed that process, but knew I couldn't otherwise write. And then I had this idea uh, for a, a, a sort of speculative fiction a book, um one of my sisters said well that'd make a great book i said oh, i don't do books so i can't write dialogue and i don't do plot anyway that became a book which is not yet out uh, and then i've had a lifelong returning to space a bit i've had a lifelong interest in the topic of relativity and uh and i had probably failed to understand it in any that's all we have time for thank you <laughs> <laughs> in any meaningful way uh, i'd failed countless times to understand it and then uh, and then eventually uh, so I, yeah I used to find any one book completely unsatisfactory at, at answering the questions that you try to grapple with when you 
when you uh, read about relativity, but the internet is a marvelous thing and you can read a bit here and a bit there. And finally, there are enough different jigsaw pieces from different sources that I managed to piece something together. And that's it, yeah, that became a, a book called Relativity Explained. Well, the purpose of which, uh, so I didn't start off with the intention of writing a book, but I did start off with the intention of writing down the notes of this understanding I'd finally achieved so that I would be able to go back and un uh, remember what I'd under previously understood. And at one point I looked at these notes and thought, well, maybe this would be good for other people as well. So that one is available on Amazon. Relativity Explained by Ron Hulman. Thank you for the plug. End of, end of podcast. <laughs> No, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work and effort to, to write something and as many different things as you've uh, looked at as well. And you know, the relativity, well, I know what it's like to have your work teased apart or scrutinized and all of that. Mm. And the fact that you've done, I've done that on one occasion, you've done that on multiple occasions is a, well, an enjoyable slash, you know, difficult experience at the same time but i think what you did with your book is is uh with thinking lies also available on, in all good bookstores uh is a, a far braver thing to do than i did and uh, oh mine is a, yeah mine's much better yeah by mine by mine before <laughs> by all it, of them together it is a good read yeah yeah want to finish up with what is going to be uh one of those questions that will probably make you think a little bit. You mentioned, will, earlier, yes, you, I know the question's coming. Yeah. No, you mentioned earlier that, um, sort of in teenage years, talking about you and your friend, and sort of the meaning of life, and not really knowing what that necessarily looks like, as none of us really do ever work out. But having spent some time, it sounds like trying to work out what that is, and. <laughs> maybe also you know working uh, getting to know me and my insightful ways and obviously I've brought so so much to your life um what what do you think the meaning is at least for you um Uh, sorry, pauses don't work very well on podcasts, so I better speak whilst I'm thinking. Um, I have a very simplistic attitude, which I know you and I have talked about before, David. So whether this is quite the answer you're looking for, I don't know, but we can start with this. Uh, and I guess I've learned more recently uh, through reading a bit of philosophy that it's maybe uh, a little bit of existentialism creeping in. Uh, sort of that 19 mid 1900s philosophy but um i uh, i discovered at some point that i was a bit more ambitious than i realized i was uh, but then i also realized that i wasn't quite as ambitious uh, as all that so there are some people who want to be ceo but i never wanted to do that so i found myself grappling with this question i am ambitious on the one hand but i'm not very ambitious so what 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 does what does that add up to so I, I did need to have a little bit of a think about things at that, at that point. And I came up with this fairly, very, very simple sounding philosophy. Uh, uh, so is it a meaning of life? I don't know. I don't know that I would be quite so grandiose as to 
suggest that it is, but it, it sort of has carried me through, which is that you spend a third of your life, roughly speaking, yeah, in, 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 uh, uh, in your personal life. You spend about a third of your life at work and you spend a third of your life sleeping. Um, not necessarily equal thirds, just three parts. And if you're not happy in all of those, and happiness means obviously sleeping well, um, uh, a, a healthy personal life, not just in body but in mind, and uh, and a career that f- that fulfills you in whatever way it needs to, because for each of us that's different. Then if you can say yes to three of those things uh, most of the time, so some of the times you can say yes to at least two of them much of the time, then you're probably somewhere uh, in a in a fairly useful place. Now you can factor into it that whatever it is that fulfills you. So if you are somebody who has a, for instance, a, a quite um, uh, a, a broad outward looking view, you can do all the charitable stuff you want to do within that personal life bit or indeed in the world, work life part of it. So that sort of simple model is not, it's not meant to be a selfish model. It's meant to be a model that whatever sort of floats your own boat. If sleeping well means six hours sleep or 10 hours sleep, that's what works for you. So that's been my simple version of it. And I guess I, I should have aligned it with and try and do some good in the world whilst you're at it. Yeah, I've always liked that philosophy that you have. And I, I've tried to adopt that more and more so. Is there any more that you feel the need to say? Did we talk about my book yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get we get that bit short. Uh, okay. And, uh, I I'd like I'd like to uh, say that I have enjoyed your podcasts. Yeah, but that's because you come up with a lot of the questions. No, that's not that's not true, and I think that you. Um, uh, and no, I, I won't. I won't. I won't say more on on that line. So I, I take it as a, a sort of an uh, an honour, which I appreciate to be part of your one hundredth podcast. Oh, I, yeah, I assumed. I assumed that would be the case. Yeah. The fact that you felt the need to say that is is almost, you know. Just yeah, just safely presume that all guests. And yes, for you to be the hundredth, I guess, has some sort of special meaning. But um, no, I when, when this goes viral, will will I get some sort of share of profit? Or uh, yes, and I will let you know at some point what that is. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure, more so than I had expected and not as much as I had feared. Thank you very much.